Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern-day fundraising success, and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. Guests on The Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome back from our summer hiatus. We are back here live on The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we are very excited about the lineup, both in our page one. Uh, obviously, when we take a few weeks off for the uh, the summer break uh, here in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, we get uh, a little bit backed up with news. We've got lots of people coming in to share lots of uh, important things with us. And then, of course, our big page two expert today. Uh, definitely stay with us. You're going to want to hear what Stephen Myers has to say about personalized philanthropy. Uh, and I'm very excited that we've got Linda Lysakowski from Charity Channel Press here uh, to do the big introduction to our page two expert. Uh, so uh, as always here on The Nonprofit Coach, uh, as you heard at the top of the show, this is a live call-in show. Uh, so please do call in to 347-324-3080. You can also join us over in the chat room. Uh, I see several folks over in the chat room. You can ask questions there. Uh, or as always, you can ask me questions just by email. Ted Hart at tedhart.com. We are going to run right over to page one because we've got so much to cover today. First up here in page one news, we have Courtney Cherico here with us. Of course, she's with GuideStar. Uh, GuideStar is, as our listeners know, one of the six pillars of online success for all nonprofit organizations. And here in the United States, it ranks number two, right behind a well-designed website, well-designed mobile service, and your email service. You need a strong GuideStar strategy. Welcome here to the nonprofit coach, Courtney Cherico. Thank you for having me, Ted. Uh, I'm happy to say today we have a resource page uh, for the, the Syrian Civil War. It's at the forefront of everyone's minds, and we have a list of expert-recommended organizations that are responding to this refugee crisis. Um, it links to the organization's profiles on GuideStar as well, so you can go ahead and share with your networks, and insured donations are making your maximum impact. Uh, if you want to see this resources page, it's going to be npo.gs slash EU Refugee, capital E-U-R. That's yeah. terrific. And uh, um, I want to thank you again for um, the GuideStar partnership here on the Nonprofit Coach. Obviously, when we take a few weeks off, we get a chance to 
clear our head a little bit and reflect on uh, all the things that make this show so popular and make this uh, show such an important resource. And part of that is the fact that you folks at GuideStar always make a point of coming and sharing with us the latest resources. And, of course, uh, our hearts break uh, seeing all of the um, uh, problems that uh, the refugees are facing as they're trying to uh, escape war. What else is new at GuideStar? Thank you, Ted. Uh, you know, what else is new is we just released our annual nonprofit compensation report, and this is an analysis of compensation paid by over 100,000 exempt organizations for fiscal year 2013. We had some really interesting findings from the report, primarily regarding female compensation. Um, in 2013, female CEOs earned 6 to 23% less than their male counterparts which is, you know, somewhat surprising, but also an improvement compared to 1998 through 99, where they earned 21 to 47% less. Uh, there are a lot of more findings in this comp report, and if you want to look at the report, I suggest you go to npo.gs slash 2015 comp report, capital C, capital R, and we even have a coupon for you for 20% off, and it's just comp20, capital C. So we hope you check it out. Well, this is one of those seminal reports that come out each year that all of us need to read, not only for uh, understanding how our own organizations are paying compared to our peers, but as you said, tracking uh, sort of the mega trends within the nonprofit organization as to you know whether or not there is fairness in uh, in pay scales, but also understanding the issues of compensation across the board. Absolutely, and we also have demographic data, compensation with um, where you live, and lots of really great findings that are essential when discussing executive compensation in your organization. The nonprofit sector is always changing and, and morphing. It's one of the things I think those of us who have been uh, in this, the sector for uh, a few decades now um, really enjoy about our work is that uh, there's always innovation and there's there's uh, uh, always new ideas of how we can serve those most in need. Um, one of the things that we really support uh, is the notion of uh, nonprofit organizations completing their data on GuideStar uh, and making sure that that information is current. Can you walk us through a little bit why that's important from your perspective and, and how are we doing about increasing those numbers? Sure thing. Um, from an organizational perspective, it's important because this is really your profile to the world as read by donors. And when you update your profile, you can have as much space as on our website as a large organization. You know, it's, it's an equal playing field. And you want to establish that impact is the most important for your donors, and here are those statistics that prove your impact. And how can nonprofits that maybe are not as familiar with this as, as maybe our more seasoned listeners, how can they learn what's already posted and how can they update their information? Uh, you definitely want to go to guidestar.org and click on Update Your Profile, Get Started Now. And it's really never been easy to update your profile. We just launched a better user experience uh, that helps walk you through with easy steps and easy commands. So guidestar.org is the place you want to be. That's great. Well, we certainly uh, continue to endorse GuideStar as a very important strategy for online success. And you mentioned it a little bit earlier, Courtney, one of the biggest reasons for that uh, is the high viewership of GuideStar data uh, and how donors uh, throughout uh, the country uh, are using GuideStar as uh, a place to go at, to get information about their favorite charities and to make appropriate decisions about where they would like to uh, support uh, philanthropy. So, Courtney, we look forward to having you uh, back again or someone from GuideStar uh, back uh, here on the show uh, next month. And it's good to be back from the summer break and great to have GuideStar with us. Thanks so much, Ted. Have a great show. You bet. Thank you, Courtney. That's uh, Courtney Cherico uh, from GuideStar again here with the GuideStar Minute sharing us very up-to-date 
topical information that we all uh, can use. Uh, next up here on page one news, another really dear friend of uh, the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show, of course, is BlackBot. Uh, BlackBot has been with us from the very beginning, and we have uh, a longstanding partnership uh, with BlackBot. Uh, today we've got Catherine LaCour, who's with us, Content Marketing Associate for, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, BlackBot's um, Senior Vice President, and more importantly, uh, is here to bring us up to date on what I consider to be one of the very best conferences available in the nonprofit sector. Catherine, tell us all about BBCon 2015. Hey, Ted, thanks. Well, thanks for having me, and I can't believe we're, gosh, a month away now. It's coming quickly, and you've been to BBCon, as you said, many years, and this is really going to be our best conference we've had. Um, We're also excited to bring it to our second home, Austin, Texas, for the first time. And for those that don't know who are listening, BBCon is being held at the end of the month, October 26th through the 28th. And BBCon, we bring together thousands of nonprofit to network uh, to share the latest insights, trends, innovations from fundraising and marketing strategies to best practices for accounting and stewardship to technology advancements and more. And this year we have over 200 expert-led sessions, and we're going to be joined not only by our very own Ted Hart, but also by the world, some of the world's most noteworthy voices in the humanitarian movement, um, which given what's going on in the world today, I think will be really timely and uh, interesting to hear. Absolutely. Uh, now, Catherine, one of the things that I'm often asked is, um, you know, where can nonprofit executives go uh, to get expert training to learn what's happening in the sector? Um, and then I mentioned the BlackBot conference. I, I, I bring up BBCon, and, and as you are aware, and others at BlackBot, I have long said. BlackBot is one of the best-run conferences. Um, but some folks have the the belief that the BlackBot conference mm-hmm. is really only about selling BlackBot con- uh, mm-hmm. uh, content and services, and it's really just a user group meeting. But it's so much more than that. Um, help me share with my listeners why BBCon is more than just BlackBot. Oh, sure. So, no, the conference is open to anyone, and let me talk to you a little bit about what we're having this year. So we have, um, as keynotes lined up, uh, award-winning actress and humanitarian Ashley Judd. Uh, she's going to share some of her inspiring stories from her international humanitarian work. And I'm really excited to also have two-time Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Nicholas Kristoff joining us this year. And Mr. Kristoff is going to help um, or is going to talk to our uh, audience and our attendees about advancing their brands with the excellence of storytelling. And that's just the beginning. From there, we go down into um, educational sessions that are led by thought leaders, um, such as yourself. Um, We're bringing back the big idea sessions that we kicked off last year, and this is where we bring together executives, technology gurus, nonprofit professionals to really catalyze and discuss new ideas. And your session, um, you're actually on a session called the Future Fundraising, um, and you're going to be kicking off the big idea sessions as yours is the first um, big idea session of the conference. We're also bringing in, since we're in Austin, we wanted to bring in some Austin-based leaders for what we're calling some Ignite sessions. So these 10-minute Ignite vignettes. We've got Susie Sosa from The Verb. We have Mike Nellis, the Chief um, Executive Officer from the Austin Community Foundation, Robert Thurston from Under Armour, to talk about these new trends, tech that's happening in the market, best practices um, in, with grant-making organizations. So we really um, dive into industry content. We're there to educate. We're there to help develop the industry. So, yes, we will have some BlackBot technology sessions um, hosted by our executives and senior technologists, but it's really talking about the innovation that's moving this industry forward. And then we wrap all of that around with these incredible um, uh, thought leaders to talk about, you know, what's happening in the market. It really is uh, sort of a, a go in and learn the very best kind of conference, and and it's just so expertly run that when you're there, uh, you just really feel like somebody has spent a lot of time thinking of every detail, so you can focus on learning and not 
some of the frustrations that you can find in some other conferences that are maybe not as well managed. So I think it's, uh, from my perspective, it's a a very good investment in yourself. It's a very good investment in your nonprofit organization. And certainly we encourage uh, as many of my listeners uh, to come to BBCon. And uh, hopefully when you're there, you'll uh, you'll make a point of coming to see me. Uh, As uh, you mentioned, uh, on uh, October 26th from 2 to 3 p.m., we will be hosting live from BBCon uh, this very show, the Nonprofit Coach uh, Radio Show, um, and uh, looking forward to being there with you, Catherine. And thank you for uh, coming uh, on the Nonprofit Coach, giving us a little preview of uh, all the exciting things that are planned. Uh, before I let you go, how can my mm-hmm. listeners uh, sign up to attend BBCon? Definitely. Well, there's still time. Uh, you can visit bbconference.com to register online throughout t- October 23rd. Um, we're also going to have on-site registration as well as a one-day registration pass if you can't join us for the entire conference. And you can follow um, follow us and stay up to date on all things BBCon on Twitter at our handle at BBCon and then on Facebook, facebook.com backslash blackbot. So hope to see you there. There's going to be a lot of great sessions, and I'm Ted, looking forward to seeing you personally as well. Absolutely. Look forward to seeing you there. This is uh, Catherine LaCour, BlackBot Senior Vice President, uh, expert on all things BBCon here on The Nonprofit Coach, and look forward to seeing you in Austin. Great. See you in Austin, Ted. Take care. Uh, next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, we've got a wrap-up, Page One News. It's uh, always a lot going on when we come back from a break. Uh, but next up, I'm uh, going to bring in uh, Linda Lysikowski. Um Right at the top, I'm going to actually hold you over to just the beginning of uh, Page Two here, Linda, uh, because you've got a big announcement of who our Page Two expert is today. Let's head over, turn the page, Page Two. <laughs> Linda Lysikowski, of course, is one of the top experts in the nonprofit field. She is an ACFRE, Advanced Certified Fundraising Executive, something that we have in common. Uh, We're also both authors, but more importantly, she's with Charity Channel Press, and she's here on the Nonprofit Coach right now to introduce Stephen Myers. So, uh, Linda, who is Stephen Myers, and why is he going to be on my show today? Well, that's a great question. First of all, welcome back, Ted. It's it's always sad to see you take those, that summer hiatus. I'm sure you desperately need a vacation a little bit, but it's... Uh, oh, I think we all need the time here. off. <laughs> but uh, but you actually didn't allow me to have the entire time off because you uh, commandeered <laughs> me to uh, write the uh, the foreword for uh, a new book that you've got coming out. So why don't right. you uh, take a little bit of time and just share folks when that book's going to be available, a little bit about that book, and then we'll do a proper introduction of uh, Dr. Myers. Well, I have a couple books coming out. The one that most recently came out was Nonprofit Strategic Planning, but we have the new donor coming out and um, also one on uh, some quick guides, something new for Charity Channel. We're coming up with little quick guides, which are kind of short and sweet and to the point things. We have one coming out on developing your case for support and one on the development plan, and we'll have a lot more in the future. But um, I am excited about the new donor, which will be coming out probably early next year. It might might be out this year yet, but at the end of the year is always kind of a, a busy time in the publishing world, so we might um, end up releasing that one early next year. But it talks about the future of fundraising, exactly what you were just talking about with Blackboard, and I think that's really a topic that all of us are are interested in and and looking forward to. So. I'm excited about those things in addition to some other things, but I'm really excited today to introduce Stephen Myers. When you ask who Stephen Myers is and why he's on your show, uh, the first word that came to my mind when I think about who Stephen is is a true thought leader, and we, we were just talking with Blackboard about thought leaders, and I think there's very few people in the nonprofit sector that I really consider a thought leader and while all our authors are fantastic and have some great books out, this book really excited me probably more than anything recently. Um, I first met Stephen, I guess it was two years ago, and he said, you know, I have this manuscript. Would you mind taking a look at it? And I thought, okay, sure, you know, everybody has a manuscript for me to look at. 
Well, I took this manuscript home and literally couldn't put it down. It was like one of those murder mysteries where you just want to turn the next page to see what's going to happen next. And one of the things that really excited me about this, and I think it's really some a book that will revolutionize the way we do fundraising, personalized philanthropy, and it was just such an interesting concept. And he compares it to the movie The Matrix, and I think there have been several Matrix movies out, but I thought how true it is that sometimes in within the nonprofit sector in our development offices, we're living in an unreal world. We create a world like the Matrix where we're so organization-driven and we love our organizations and we feel passionate about their missions, but what we really need to do is crash that Matrix and get out into the world of the donor and think about fundraising from the donor's perspective. And this book is all about that. So I'm so excited about this book. I, I think it's a great one for you to welcome back um, after your your little break because this book just has me really excited. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to read the entire book, but if you are, you're probably as excited as I am over it. <laughs> I am very excited uh, about uh, about this book, and and I think in in uh, in particular, and we do want to bring uh, uh, Dr. Myers uh, in here. Um, you know, I I, I uh, uh, looking through this just found that that this this felt like coming home in the right way. Um, so I think it was, um, you know, the the uh, uh, the right way for us to come back after the break. And I just want to share uh, a, a quote of one of the endorsers, someone that, that you, know, you and I both uh, highly respect, David Dunlop, um, who is a senior development officer over at Cornell University. Uh, he says, all who engage in encouraging and inspiring charitable giving have a great new resource in personalized philanthropy, both seasoned professionals and those just beginning their career in fundraising. Steve and I think alike, and I like what he has written, and I think you will too. Um, so I think you know that that's a very powerful endorsement uh, from someone who really knows what he's talking about and has a very uh, strong career, and uh, I think is a great way to uh, uh, move right into personalized philanthropy and, as you said, crash the fundraising matrix. So, Linda Lyskowski, thank you for introducing us to uh, Stephen Myers. I'm bringing Stephen on. He's now uh, here live on the Nonprofit Coach. Welcome, Dr. Myers, to the Nonprofit Coach. Hi, Ted. Pleasure to be here. It's great to have you here. Linda, thank you for that great uh, introduction. You, We're going to jump right in here uh, to page uh, two expert. Um, so, uh, Stephen, introducing um, this this book, uh, does it feel to you like this is a, a heavy lift for people to understand personalized philanthropy, um, or do you feel like this is an invitation to come back home? Hmm. That's really a great question, a good way of, uh, of starting. Um, um, for me, it really was a, a, a kind of awakening, um, uh, and, that, and that's why the, uh, the idea of the matrix seemed to be so appropriate as a, as a metaphor, um, because for, for many years in fundraising, before I, I kind of developed these concepts, I just felt that something wasn't quite right in the world, uh, because uh, of all the silos and the channels that kept fundraisers and donors from really working together. And uh, so when I began to see how this uh, system was set up, I, I wanted to figure out a way to kind of level the playing field. And uh, as soon as I was able to see the structure for what it was, which is a synthetic and artificial um, system and structures and the way that departments were set up, uh, and the way that uh, uh, donors had to operate in their uh, in their channel, and, and so did fundraisers. So as I saw that kind of crash down, um, a new world opened up to me, and uh, I felt like I had the ability to do things that I hadn't been able to do before as a fundraiser, and it kind of restored my faith and, and creativity. So, yeah, it was really like coming home in a way. When I when I when I I look through this, um, you know this this is, you know a, a book that gives uh, the reader uh, a roadmap to donors. I, I felt that 
um, what what you're reminding us is that so many organizations and and, and Please correct me if I'm wrong. So, so many organizations get caught up in their need for money and get caught up in their budgets and their internal silos in terms of how business is done that the donors who fund nonprofit organizations, the philanthropists who want to make a difference, almost become ancillary to the entire process. Yeah, that's true. In, in a way, it's like the... Um the, organiza- the organization and the setup of fundraisers with the annual campaign, the major gift campaign, and uh, the plan giving campaign are really set up. Uh, the job of the fundraiser is really to service these campaigns and to fill the need of the campaign rather than right. focus on the, on the need of the donor. So uh, th- that culture of institutional focus uh, really makes it almost impossible to see or connect with um, what's going on with with donors. And, of course, donors have a strong reason for being there. If you suggest the idea of personalized philanthropy to them, as a matter of fact, they'll be surprised that uh, their own philanthropy is not really personalized. And they might not even be aware of the the structures that they're kind of forced into by the organizations, how how they're researched and how they're kind of slotted into these channels. And, you know, what's wrong with that is that um, donors who care will stay with an organization for five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20, 30 years. And during that time, they have an opportunity to make every kind of gift. Uh, And uh, if organizations realize that you should be able to approach a donor where they are in sort of the life cycle with the organization, that that could change the way that would change the way that we do we do fundraising. I, I, I sort of hear, and Linda shared with us when she read your manuscript, um, and she got really excited and just sort of couldn't stop turning the pages. And, and what I see in your approach here, um, and I just want to run this by you and pull me back if I'm if I'm going way too far, <laughs> is one of the things that that I've I've shared on this show is the the inherent. Um, uh, conflict of interest that uh, fundraisers have when they're employed by a charity. Because I think that as a professional uh, fundraising executive, CFRE, ACFRE, someone who is truly a professional uh, development officer, um, is developing opportunities for donors to give. And, And for me, that's fundamentally different than being a fundraiser. And as a development officer, you have, I believe, as one of the the uh, uh, promises that you make to the industry, is that you become the donor's advocate. That it's your job to understand what the donor wants to accomplish with their philanthropy, because they don't owe the charity the money. They don't have to give it to you. Um, but your job is to help them succeed in ways that they want to succeed, um, and sometimes that comes into conflict with, as you mentioned, you then understand at the same time that you're a professional and you have these responsibilities to the donor, that you also draw a salary and have a position with a particular nonprofit organization that has budgets to meet and has campaigns that they want to be successful. And part of this crashing of the, the matrix is helping all of us make sense of that. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a very... Um a deeply thoughtful and profound question, and it really goes to the heart of uh, of my quest. And I really think of it as a quest because I'm trying to persistently uh, solve this problem of how you can really stay with the donor. Uh, it's it's you raise the, the matter of kind of uh, walking the walk and talking the talk. We're all talking the same that talk that we're donor centered and we're in it. For the donor, but we do have these obligations to fulfill uh, our annual campaign numbers, our numbers of visits, uh, numbers of we have to to raise the money for a particular campaign, and we lose sight of where the donor is along the path of their giving. So one of the um, the insights that I had along the way was that it would be possible, if it's possible, to kind of meet the donor where they are. Um, Rather than where you are, instead of doing a solicitation and taking out, you know, here's my, here's our, uh, our campaign proposal. We think that you should make a gift of X 
and then wait for that donor to consider whether they want to do that or not. Uh, you're much better off if you meet the donor where they are and, and find the connection, the mesh between their passion, their compelling interest in your organization, and what the compelling need is of the organization. That way, you can uh, not be an annual gift officer meeting a campaign need uh, or a major gift officer focusing on just the campaign of the moment or a plan giving officer focusing on gifts that the donor can make way in the future or through their estate. You can connect that donor up where they are. And um, I think the real breakthrough that I had was uh, doing this thought experiment, I actually uh, developed some uh, strategies so I could really move from just this kind of doing the talk about this, but to doing the walk, really connecting up uh, the, the donor's capability for their lifetime and capacity that they had a much greater capacity in their lifetime than they have in any given moment. So if you look at the donor along this uh, the spectrum, you can see that they can make every kind of gift and uh, tie the, their their gifts to a purpose that's important to them. And that's really a donor focus. That's kind of what characterizes the donor focus, which is exactly the opposite of what the institution culture is about. The institution culture says, we want you to give us an unrestricted gift. Uh, we want you to give it to us for our purposes. We want it to be in cash so that it's immediately expendable. And it's a transaction. We'll say, thank you very much. And we'll come back when we need you again. And the, the donor focus is rather understanding how the donor would fit in with your organization's long-term approach uh, and what, what their aim was. For instance, if they wanted to establish a, a research fund or a professorial chair or a scholarship, um, they could do that by combining their current giving and their future giving and chaining together all these different uh, types of gifts and vehicles that are possible, but not seeing them as transactions, instead seeing them as staging uh, uh, um, the, their purpose over a period of time. And that's something that's just not possible in the structures that most of us as fundraisers uh, live in. And, that's and why isn't, that the, the isn't, isn't that really the point um, that, you, that you just made, that we've created these structures? Uh, I mean, it, capital campaigns don't exist by themselves. Annual appeals have no value whatsoever, except that as professionals, we've developed these frameworks that are meant to help donors feel valued and help them feel successful in supporting the charity of their choice. But what's happened, I think, over time, as, as we've grown into, quote-unquote, more of a profession, um, is that annual appeals and capital campaigns, if you go to a lot of fundraising conferences, it's as if they exist off the shelf. You just you go pick up an annual fund, and this is how you run an annual fund. But it misses the point of why you have the annual fund in the first place. You really have crashed the matrix yourself, uh, Ted. Uh, it, it, <laughs> it, it, takes me, it takes me back to the, uh, to the, to the movie where um, – uh, the two characters are speaking to each other at the beginning. Morpheus is saying to uh, to Neo in the first episode that the Matrix is everywhere; it's all around us, uh, which which means that it's just, it's so pervasive. And we were a new fundraiser is brought into the system. It's not like you get an right. opportunity to reimagine uh, um, what it is you're trying to achieve. Uh, and no one really, like it says there in, in the movie, uh, unfortunately, no one can be told what the matrix is, you have to see it for yourself. And you, you really have seen it for yourself. Uh, and, yeah, well, I think it's, I think it's uh, a little bit easier for those of us who have been around for a while, Stephen, um, that, you know, I, I remember when I was first starting out, you know, uh, AFP, well, it was NSFRE at, at that time, is sort of young. There were a lot of us that were talking about professionalizing the, the, uh, uh, the, the work that we do and CFRE came into existence and what, you know, how would that live on? Um, and back then, I think 
there there was more experimentation, there was more understanding of the central role that donors play in philanthropy. And and the, as time has gone on, I think we we as a profession have done our our young people they're coming into the profession a bit of a disservice in in treating these mechanisms that that we've created and some that have been established by law uh, some of the mechanisms of planned giving and things of that sort that that we are entrusted as nonprofit organizations to properly administer the philanthropy of the donors that that give to our organizations and i think we lose sight of that when we we make it too mechanized mhm I think uh, you're starting off the show with a quote from David Dunlop, who um, was uh, a stroke of genius, because um, uh, David had uh, these ideas uh, uh, maybe 40 years ago. <laughs> you know, it's a long time that he's been in, right. that he was a fundraiser. And he had to live in both of these worlds, and he found a way to, to do this. Um, but it's sort of, for me, it's like, uh, since I worked for the Weizmann Institute, which is a science research uh, um, institute. Um, I, I use a lot of uh, scientific metaphors, and uh, David's work was sort of like the discovery of the electron, which, when it first happened, was celebrated as, "Oh, that's kind of interesting, but really useless. What are we going to do with it?" And of course, now it, it just dominates a, a, the electronic uh, age and communication dominates our life. Uh, what David did was that was so amazing was he recognized that there were three kinds of gifts that people would make during their lifetime in the normal structure of things. They would make gifts frequently, and those were the, that became the annual gift campaign. And they would make a special gift once in a while when they were asked for a, and that would be equivalent to the capital campaign. And then they would make what he called the, um, the ultimate gift, the, the gift upon their, uh, their death through their estate. But then he thought something else, which was really a breakthrough, and it, it's changed my practice. Uh, forever. He thought for, for people who were very close to the organization, uh, those people uh, should be given the opportunity to, uh, to try to achieve something of great moment. Um, and they should be able to bring together both their current giving and their future giving. And the way that he called this, um, this development, it, it, it became called a virtual endowment. And it was used just on a, on, uh, on a few occasions with special donors who had a long-term commitment. But what it allowed them to do was, and it, I brought it into my practice, and it became the core, the core element for me. Um, it, it, he allowed them to um, create like a, a, a major philanthropic program by combining their current giving that they did on a regular basis anyway. They had a good habit of giving all the time every year with their, uh, their estate gifts or their future gifts. So by chaining together these modest current gifts that people could make with their future gifts, which were the ultimate and largest gifts, he created a whole new strategy that really we still live with this, uh, the annual, the major, and the planned gift campaigns, but now we have a way to really focus on donors and their individual capabilities. He really did and, uh, a great service. In us. a lot of his work and and your work in in this in this book um, is and and you say this early on in the book is uh, the first thing to do is to learn how to listen, um, and 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 that's so easily said and so often accomplished, Ooh. or often not accomplished. Yeah. Um, let me give let me give you an example um, and have you just sort of respond to a, a couple okay. of examples that 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 I've that that I've had. So one example is a, a, an executive director who had this group of donors uh, who had just regularly supported the organization. Um, she makes some rather radical changes within the organization and presents a, a very, very optimistic budget uh, based on the fact that she has just counted on these donors giving again without any thought to why they give or or what their value to the organization might be. Uh, so the, the campaign goes on, and this group of donors uh, do not – respond to the appeal, do not renew their giving. And the executive director becomes so exasperated by this, she shouts out in a meeting, invoice them. 
Mm-hmm. What went wrong? That's not personalized wow. philanthropy. Yeah, um, that's what some people have called shock and awe. <laughs> have you ever yeah, right. heard of that expression? Shock yeah, and awe course. philanthropy. Yeah. And there are consultants and, and, and uh, people who train others, and they believe that that's the, that's the approach. Tell them what you want. You know, t- tell them what you're going to tell them. We're going to ask you for money. Ask them for money and then <laughs> um, you know, overwhelm them. And maybe yeah. they think that uh, by sending them an invoice in the mail, they'll just regard it as just another transaction, and they'll pay they'll pay the bill. And uh, you know that, that might work for some philanthropy. Is no, but that's moving. I think about as far from personalized philanthropy as as you can get, because you're literally saying your money is nothing more than as, as if I were billing you uh, mm-hmm. for this. You 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 owe me this money, um, yeah. rather than this being a, a philanthropic exchange. Yeah. Uh, the definition that, that I've kind of developed for myself, uh, what philanthropy is, is different than the one that uh, comes from that model. You were the short, sort of shock and awe invoice me model. And um, I, I think what personalized philanthropy about is about is about meshing the compelling interests of donors with the uh, compelling needs of the organizations that they care most about. So that necessarily involves um, knowledge in, in two kinds of domains, really more, but you really have to focus and listen to what's important to the donor. And you also have to really know what your organization is seeking. What are the real compelling interests of the organization that you care about? And the problem in the matrix, uh, in the fundraising matrix is, we don't know the answers to those questions very, very well. We, you know, we know our compelling interest is, well, we have to succeed in our annual campaign or our, our major gift campaign. We have to make our number. But that in no way describes the needs of the organization that a donor could relate to. At, at the Weizmann Institute, I spent a, a lot of time just trying to tease out for myself and my own conversations with donors, what are the really important aspects that uh, are that represent kind of the DNA of our organization that will always be there, both now and in the future. And when you know that, you could kind of say um, to yourself, if we had an endowment that could provide us with our current needs, that we, we were so well endowed that we could support uh, ourselves, that that would be our annual campaign, it would provide all our needs for us, what would we do with that money? And so when donors say to you, what will you do with, with my money? What do you need my money for? You really have to listen carefully to them, and you have to know what your own organization needs. And then you have to be familiar with all the building blocks of, uh, of philanthropy and fundraising, outright gifts, gifts that provide support for the donor as well as for the institution, uh, charitable trusts, um, and ultimately bequests and how each one of them can fit into where the donor is. And, and at the center of all of that is, of course, listening to what the donor would like to accomplish. Let me share with you another um, story here and see, see how you think this one stacks up. Um, so a major campaign of a nonprofit organization is to build a cancer center. Um, all hands on deck. Everybody's got to raise money. Lots of money needs to be raised to make this cancer center uh, successful. So a donor who ha- is very wealthy, research says this person has a, uh, the capacity to make a rather large gift, and it already has an affinity uh, with the organization. So it's assumed that this person uh, is a good prospect for uh, for the cancer center. In laying out the, the plans for the cancer center, there is interest. The interest isn't really in the cancer Cancer center. It's it's in seeing the organization be successful, and if this is a priority that the organization has set, then uh, then there's some interest in the support, but no excitement. In listening to the the donor and and talking about his philanthropy and and where the roots of that philanthropy came from, uh, his his eyes started to light up when he started talking about his mother. His mother has passed on. What was special about his mother, and what what uh, you know what was her life like, and and you know glowing you know statements uh, about the, the the mother, and as conversations went on, the central nature of music in her mother's in his mother's life, 
And it occurs to the development officer that this same institution that is desperately hot on the trail of raising lots of money for the cancer center also has a music therapy uh, center that has never been endowed and has never really received much attention uh, from fundraisers. And in sharing that with the donor, the donor then uh, started to uh, work with the, uh, the development officer to make plans to not only endow the, the music therapy program, but to name it for his mother. Should he have directed that donor to give to the Cancer Center campaign? Yeah. That's a great that's a great question and it, it points to the dilemma that uh that many of us would would be in in that situation. Um, there are so many stories where a fundraiser is given up a, a portfolio to take out and to sell that project and there's a mismatch for the for the donor. Um, just as you were saying. And um the, the fundraiser who is able to be fully aware of uh, both the donor's compelling interests and the fact that they had a compelling need for music therapy and a program that could be endowed, that could save a, a gift from that donor um, that otherwise might not happen at all for the cancer center. Uh, on the other hand... Right, and the, the, and the focus was on, on this concept of listening. Yeah, yeah, uh, but it, it, that's a fundraiser caught in the matrix. They have to go back and they have to speak to their campaign director and they say, gee, I can't get a gift for this and for the cancer center because my, my donor is very focused on the need for music therapy. And we can get a million dollars for that center to endow it, but we would, maybe we could get $25,000 for the cancer center. Exactly. So what, what, should, what, what should which we is do? more important? The, the the donor's advocate, I think, made the right choice in that regard. Um, listen, um, Stephen, we're going to take just a very quick break here. When we come back, I have a very big question uh, for you. I would like to ask if you could share with my listeners today, how do you get nonprofit leadership on board to uh, have personalized philanthropy be at the centerpiece of the giving at your nonprofit. And we'll be right back after this break. Okay. Does your organization have a compelling story to tell? Do you want to connect with your supporters, volunteers, and donors, but don't have the funds to launch expensive outreach campaigns? The YouTube nonprofit program can help. If I could give one piece of advice, it would be sign up for the YouTube nonprofit program. If I could give another piece of advice, it would just be to capture the story of your organization and use video to tell it because video is the most powerful medium by far. The nonprofit program helps you use YouTube as a powerful fundraising tool for your organization. In one weekend, we managed to raise enough to feed 500,000 children at school for one day. The video also gained over half a million views and had thousands of comments and tell stories that haven't been told. Because you guys, the YouTube community, started sharing these videos, there's been housing programs started and feeding programs started. Literally homeless people that were sleeping outside slept inside last night because of you guys. Over 10,000 nonprofits are already using YouTube's premium tools for nonprofits. Your organization can too. Learn more and apply at www.youtube.com nonprofits. And uh, just to remind you here on the Nonprofit Coach, uh, grab your calendars. We are live next week, October 6th at 12 noon Eastern, and we have a perennial uh, favorite here on the Nonprofit Coach. Rob Mitchell will be here uh, to share the latest information on the Atlas of Giving, which doesn't just look backwards and tell us how much money has been raised, uh, but through his uh, uh, scientific approach of analyzing data, he gives us a heads-up on what's going to happen in philanthropy uh, and how successful you're likely to be between now and the end of uh, your fiscal year. So don't miss us next week here on The Nonprofit Coach, live with Rob Mitchell and the Atlas of Giving. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio link. Ooh, ooh.
If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And we are back here live on The Nonprofit Coach with Dr. Stephen Myers. Our topic today is personalized philanthropy. And, uh, uh, Stephen, I'm uh, wondering, uh, I think we all agree this this is important. Hopefully we uh, new fundraisers, young fundraisers, can begin by reading this book and begin to understand the central nature that donors play in the philanthropic matrix. But how do you get leadership on board? Oh. Well, the, the two questions that you asked were were really um, very good in kind of showing both the opportunity and, and the dilemma that fundraisers place uh, that fundraisers have to deal with and that organizations have. The institution needs to achieve its stated goals, and the, or, and the fundraiser needs to kind of optimize their relationship uh, with each donor in order for that donor to give the greatest uh, gift that they can over their over their lifetime. Um, so I think it's very hard to, um, just present the idea of an enlightened, enlightened generalist who's familiar with all the ways of giving and can bring the right way to each donor, depending on what their interest and need is after doing careful listening. Um, unfortunately, uh, in, in the fundraising matrix, um, the institution's don't often ask that question. They don't think what's the best way to tap in and help the donor to tap into the lifetime, uh, their li- the greatest lifetime capacity that, that they're capable of. In a way, you know, I like to think about four different donors. The one that is the most interesting to me is the, the donor who doesn't know how to ask. They don't know how to form the question properly. And you have to kind of help them to do that. And I think that institutions themselves often don't know how to ask that question. They don't think about what would be the ideal gift for them. And the ideal gift, a lot of times, is going to be a gift that provides support that they need immediately, but also provides support over the long term so that they can sustain their effort um, you know, over many years. And this is what I would call a grail, a grail gift. The sort of holy grail of giving is a gift that gives now and also scales up and can give later. What the book is about is sort of the journey to find what those very specific gift designs are that allow a donor, a a fundraiser and a donor to work together to really come up with a gift that is a grail gift that works and starts working now, both uh, its impact and recognition begin now and scale up over time. When you can demonstrate to an institution leadership that these gifts actually work, this approach makes a difference. It allows donors and fundraisers to achieve larger gifts and gifts of more impact than they would otherwise be able to do then the fundraisers that you're working with get excited about it and uh, the the leadership begins to see things in a new way. So I think that's kind of the, the, uh, the answer, that there are some specific strategies and gift designs that you can bring into the situation that weren't there before that allow you to have a result that would be uh, unattainable any other way by kind of spanning the bridge between current and future giving. Uh, and being able to meet the donors uh, where they are and recognize that they're going to be with you for a long time. And, and what you really want to try to um, do is to uh, optimize their, their lifetime value. Think of them over their lifetime rather than just uh, over uh, as a tra- in a transactional moment. And give them the chance to think about uh, how they could be transformational in their giving. And... Um, in order to have a donor be transformational in their giving, you have to be ready to be transformed as an institution. So just like you were saying, maybe you're going to have a great music therapy uh, endowment program and the donor will make a smaller gift to the cancer program. So you've allowed yourself to be transformed for something that you also need over the long term. And that's what this whole and more idea importantly, is. The, right. More importantly, the donor has been given an opportunity to be truly philanthropic, uh, to make a difference with their own resources in a way that matters to them. Um, and you listened. Yeah. I think part I of the, 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 the paradox within the, 
the, the matrix is this leadership um, issue because it does take enlightened leadership. It also, I think, takes strength of character on the part of the development officer to understand and be able to articulate, which I think your board, re- your book really helps, the, as, as David Dunlop pointed out, the seasoned fundraiser, but also those that are just getting started, to clearly articulate why. Um, taking the time to listen to donors will ultimately raise more money for the organization but might take more time because it is relationship-built um, than to be lulled into thinking that this is nothing more than transactional, um, and which I think when you, when you go down that path, the 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 unintended result is what I call hit-and-run fundraising. Um, where you're just hitting the donor up for whatever they can give. You're taking whatever they can give, and you're moving on. And you know what? The donor gets it. They know what you're doing, and they understand that it really is not a relationship. Yeah, I I think you're right. One of the hopes that I always had for this book is that uh, young fundraisers would read it because they're going into situations where the structures are already so well-formed uh, and they'll, they'll, they'll go in in a very idealistic way. Uh, but if they don't have some tools to overcome these channels and silos and uh, be, be able to have the sort of the courage of their convictions, uh, it can be very difficult for them. If they do, then they can uh, have a very creative and long-lasting uh, practice of gift design. Well, absolutely, and, and you know, I, I really think that this uh, this book, you know, one way to market this is this is everything you need to know about fundraising that you're not going to hear at the fundraising conference <laughs> um, because it just is far too transactional and focused on transactions at most fundraising conferences. It's how to. Um, this speaks to the why. Why are yeah. you doing what you're doing? Um, and it also speaks to, you know, the the uh, most important ingredient in philanthropy uh, is the donor. Certainly there is a compelling need and a compelling case, uh, but there, you know, there will never be a day that we will fulfill every compelling case and every compelling need. Um, but there is an opportunity and there is a finiteness to each donor's capacity to meet whatever needs they have to be philanthropic. And I think that's where the emphasis needs to be placed is how can we help each and every donor do the maximum good for yeah. what they would like to accomplish? I, th- I think one one of the strategies that we, we haven't talked about that makes this happen is the idea of an umbrella gift, that if there is an individualized plan for that donor, each gift along the way, whether it's a large gift or a modest gift, they're all chained to that same purpose, that compelling interest that uh, that they share with the institution, the reason that they're connected, the why. So even the smallest gifts can really matter if they're part of a bigger plan. And, and I think that's that's such an important message because, um, you know, of course we rank order prospects and donors and meeting campaigns are important and meeting budgets are, are important. Uh, but one of the things when I'm lecturing that I often share uh, with people is, you know, there's there's – one thing I can absolutely guarantee you, um, no matter where you work and whatever job you get, there will never be a day that you have raised too much money. <laughs> your organization, no matter how successful you are, your organization will find a way and will manage to spend all of the money that you that you have raised. And guess what? They will then want more. Mm. And so I think the emphasis needs to be on what is appropriate and what is possible, given the donors that we have that are interested in our work, and build your philanthropic program around the realities of what your donors can accomplish than to just simply hit and run fundraise all the time. Unfortunately, Stephen, we are running out of time. Uh, So I want to ask you in the last 90 seconds that we have together, uh, two things. One is final message, and how can my listeners reach you? Okay. I think the final message is that the the ability to connect with donors and to raise uh, money with them is limited only by your imagination if you have the right tools. And it's very easy for people to find me. They can find find me at personalizedphilanthropy.com. That will connect them to uh, my, my blog. It will tell them about Charity Channel, where the book is, and um, about my work at the Weizmann Institute of Science, which is also central to 
these uh, this te- new technology of giving that we've developed. Stephen, thank you for writing this book. Um, I think this is a, a very important contribution to the work that we do, and I think uh, a very important book, um, certainly for seasoned fundraisers. But you know what? Shame on them if they don't already know this. Uh, <laughs> but I think that for new fundraisers, this is a must-read. And uh, Stephen uh, Myers, you are always welcome here on The Nonprofit Coach. Thanks for being such a good reader of my book. Thoughtful questioner. <laughs> Appreciate that very, very much. Well, thank you again, and don't forget to join us next week here on The Nonprofit Coach, live 12 noon Eastern, and we will have the Atlas of Giving next week. This has been The Nonprofit Coach. You've been listening to The Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.